Welcome into the Power Alley. If you're familiar with the podcast, I'm your host, Pat Malacaro. While the sun is shining and the snow is starting to melt, and as we're under 50 days away from opening day at Salem Field, it feels like baseball weather, albeit for just a couple of days here in western New York, and it's time to start thinking about summers at the ballpark. And what better way to do that than continue on this week in the Power Alley as we're joined by Blue Jays development coach Jake McGuigan. In 2020, McGuigan was scheduled to be on the Bison's coaching staff and in 2021 found himself under Casey Candell and helping lead the Bisons to a division championship. McGuigan has an interesting path to his journey through the Blue Jays organization, which started collegiately playing for Harvard. And where we start our conversation, the power alley, we look back at 2021 and just what it meant to McGuigan after being scheduled to be here the year before, what it meant to him to be on the coaching staff last year with the Herd. Well, Jake, thanks for taking some time with us here today. How has the offseason been going since the 2021 Bison season ended back in early October? Well, thanks, Pat. Thanks for having me on. Um, definitely was great to get to know you and, and Lash and Anthony and, and some of the guys in Buffalo uh, last uh, end of last summer. I know it was a, kind of a short stint for us in Buffalo, those, those seven weeks to finish the season. Um, but it was, it was really enjoyable for us. We were, um, we were treated extremely well in Trenton. Um, Jeff Hurley and, and Brian Rock did a tremendous job for us. Um, but ultimately, um, the, the team was, was looking forward to getting back to our home city, home ballpark. Um, new facilities were unbelievable. And I just remember that first game on August 10th, I think it was, um, when, when we were home there against Rochester, finally, finally able to get into the new facilities and have a true home game for us. And the, the crowd was incredible. My parents were in the stands and being able to put up an 11 spot there and, and win 11 nothing. And obviously that big home run by, by Logan Warmoth was great. So it all, it all kind of made it all worth it to be able to, to get those last few weeks in Buffalo and um, good, good ending to the season for the team. Uh, I was really proud of how the guys finished and coming into the off season. Um, it's been, it's been good. Um, I've been kind of back and forth between being, uh, being up in Boston with my family and being in Philadelphia and, and down in Florida with my fiance and, uh, it's been good to kind of decompress a little bit after a long season with spring training and then the alternate site and, and AAA last year, um, especially AAA running into October last year. It definitely was, uh, felt like a bit of a longer season, and it was. Um, so it was good to get some time, time off over the last uh, few months. And um, I was able to, my fiance and I took a trip out to uh, Mount Rushmore a few weeks back and did a little uh, sightseeing out in South Dakota. So it was good to just kind of get away for a few days and, and enjoy it. But um, now with, with here mid-February, back at it, uh, back down in Florida and, and looking, looking forward to another, another good season. And I want to talk about your background and how you got involved in coaching and development program with the Blue Jays. But uh, going back to just what you mentioned a minute ago about getting to Buffalo eventually at, in August the 10th and all that led up to that moment. It felt like the coaching staff um, from the top down, from Casey Candell all the way down from the Blue Jays front office really made it as easy. And you guys made it as easy on the players as possible under not the easiest of circumstances. Yeah. And ultimately it came down to the players. The, the, the players resp responded incredibly well to the situation. Um, we were very fortunate to have a, a good mix of some veteran leadership on the team with um, Tyler White, Christian Cologne, Casey Lawrence, 
and a few others. And then that mix of some younger guys coming up through the organization. Um, and ultimately those guys embraced it incredibly well. Um, there were never any excuses, um, never heard any rumblings of, um, of un unhappiness of those guys in the clubhouse. Obviously it was not an ideal situation for those guys in AAA with having a month at the alternate site and then transitioning up to Trenton um, to what had been a double A ballpark. But like I said, Jeff and Brian were unbelievably accommodating for us and uh, made us feel super welcome and gave us everything we needed and treated us extremely well, uh, hooked us up with plenty of golf while we were up there. And um, I think ultimately the, the way we viewed it from a staff perspective and down to the players is, um, you know, let, let's embrace the situation. Um, let's use this to our advantage. I think the group really rallied around the idea that we were kind of uh, nomads for a few months. And, um, but the clubhouse in Trenton provided a, a pretty intimate uh, area for the group to really get to know each other and, and um, really rally behind each other. Um, and I think that's what ultimately led it to, to be a great successful year is that, like I said, no excuses. Um, everyone was cheering for one another. Everyone got super close. And ultimately, once July and August came around and the opportunity did present itself to, to come back up to Buffalo, uh, we had all seen the new facilities with pictures and videos that, that the big league team was presenting um, to the public and to us. And um, the way we viewed it as um, not, that, not that we wanted uh, necessarily to leave Trenton because uh, those guys treated us well, but we felt like I, like I said earlier, Buffalo's home and to get up to those new facilities, we really believe that that was kind of a treat to the players to, to finish the season. And, um, and it, it was a great homecoming and um, great first week there. And then ultimately uh, went on that nice little streak against Scranton in September and, and then brought it home and, and did pretty well down the final stretch there. But um, I think ultimately, like the, the just the combination of the, the attitudes amongst the, the coaches, but really the players of how they embrace the situation um, is, is what made it uh, so easy on us as a staff and um, allowed us to just keep an even keel approach throughout the year, um, really focus on player development, play, focus on winning, and try to get as many guys up to the big leagues as possible. And it's kind of the sense I got from, from watching from afar was with there being no season in 2020 for a majority of minor league players not being at alternate sites, it was the not taking playing professional baseball for granted and maybe a renewed sense of, you know, enjoyment for the game after years of grinding it out in the minor leagues and not having that maybe for one summer. Did you get that sense from, from players? Cause like I said, from, from my seat here in Buffalo, watching you guys in Trenton and the rest of the teams in triple East, that's kind of the impression I got. Yeah, no doubt. I think from my personal perspective, and then I can touch on some players um, 2020, it was hard without a season. I think we all, we ultimately do this for the competitive nature of a game every night and we're all driven to win and we're all driven to make players better. And 2020, um, obviously a lot of people were struggling outside of the baseball industry, but within our industry, um, we were incredibly fortunate with the Blue Jays that they took care of staff extremely well. Um, no coaches were furloughed. They kept everyone on the payroll, kept everyone busy with a lot of remote work. And then towards the end of the year, obviously the alternate site, alternate site picked up and then we had some fall camps. So from my perspective, once we hit the season last year, 
I was super eager to get back out on the field and um, I didn't care how many games we played last year. I, I, I really loved the fact, I personally liked the fact that we had kind of a longer season because it was great to just be out at the ballpark every day doing some extra work and um, having, I think we had close to 140 games last year in AAA, which, uh, which, which was great. Um, so from my perspective, I was incredibly grateful that we at least had a, somewhat of a sense of normalcy with, with real games and real competition. Because like I said, that's what it's ulti ultimately about is um, being able to get into that dugout every night at 6.30 or 7 o'clock and compete for a win uh, with the players. And from the players' perspective too, I think a lot of guys had some, um, 2020 was, was really a setback with a lot of their careers. And I definitely feel for a lot of those guys, especially some of the younger guys who are, were coming up through the system, were probably supposed to be in double A AA or triple A um, in 2020. And everything was just put on hold and they lost the whole year of their career. Um, and then also some of the older guys like, like Tyler White, Tyler White played overseas and um, Casey Lawrence um, started the year playing indie ball before he signed with us and Christian Cologne. I know CC was up in the big leagues a little bit in 2020, but for him, um, for all those, these guys, whether it was the young guys or the older guys, we just really saw a sense of, of um, gratefulness for them to be, to be playing professional baseball and playing AAA baseball. And they all embraced the opportunity. And I think everyone was um, really happy to get back at it. And it, it really made us appreciate and understand how important the game was to our lives. And um and what it's really meant to us. And uh, like I said, being able to, to get back to Buffalo on that August 10th game, um, I remember going out there to coach first in, the, in the, uh, the bottom of the first inning there and just looking up at the crowd and the music was, was super loud and uh, there was so much energy. And I remember looking up and saying, this is what it's all about. And um, it's been kind of an up and down two years for the industry and for the organization and for the team, but um, this made it all worth it. And for yourself personally, uh, you know, playing collegiately at Harvard and playing on some of the, in some of the most hallowed grounds of baseball history in general. I mean, that's that's quite the you know, to come to Buffalo last year and, and see the way you know the ballpark transitioned and you know just about your journey. I want to touch on that now and and how you got into coaching and you know first of all going to Harvard. I don't know many guys that ended up uh, you know playing Ivy League baseball, but uh, you know how did you end up playing at Harvard in, in in, and going to school there? Yeah, well, grow, growing up just south of Boston, um, I grew up in a small town about uh, 15 miles south of Boston, right along the, the coast in between Boston and Cape Cod. Um, my, my parents always instilled in me um, a, um, a, a desire and a passion for academics and doing well in the classroom growing up and making sure that I was setting myself up for the next 40 or 50 years of life once baseball was eventually going to be over as a player. Um, and I think that's something that um, growing up in that area, Harvard was always on everyone's radar. And um, it, it's kind of become a global brand over the last couple decades. And um, having the opportunity to get recruited there um, by legendary coach Joe Walsh, um, he was a huge influence on my recruiting process through high school and my first two years at Harvard. Um, uh, unfortunately, he passed away the summer after my sophomore year, the summer of 2012. Um, 
so coming up on 10 years now of the anniversary of his death and sudden sudden death, um, him dying of a heart attack in his sleep um, that summer after my sophomore year and then playing two years for, for coach Bill Decker. But uh, both those guys had huge impacts on, on my experience there and really showed me firsthand what um, kind of, I don't know if I appreciated it as much at, at the time, but showing me the, the sacrifice and the selflessness that comes with coaching. And um, the whole experience at Harvard was tremendous. Uh, being able to, to meet people from all over the world, all over the country. Uh, my freshman my freshman roommates, who uh, we ended up staying roommates for all four years. And to this day, they're still friends. We were from Boston, Miami, Southern California, and Alaska. So we touched all four, four corners of the United States, which was pretty, pretty cool at the time. And um, just got to, got to get a ton of unique um, backgrounds that, of people I met and guys on the team and, and people in the, around the social life on campus and within the academic uh, world with, with different backgrounds and different opinions. So I think that was, that was really important with not only being able to challenge myself with a division one baseball program, but um, really trying to trying to put a premium on academics as well and um, trying to really learn how to learn and learn how to think and um, learn how to interact with different types of people with different backgrounds and different opinions. I think that's ultimately a lot of what I learned during my time there and um, was very fortunate to play um, play those years at Harvard and then get a couple opportunities afterwards within independent ball and uh, ultimately when when the time came that um, I think I was finally starting to to read the writing on the wall that I was a 26 year old playing independent ball um, hitting below 200 it probably was time to make the transition over and um, kind of use um, use everything that I had observed as a player and learned as a player to try to uh, transition into um, player development role coaching coaching roles and um, and ultimately, I keep keep learning a lot in the, in this type of role as well. Um, I think we never know enough, and we never know everything. But um, the, a lot of the people I've been fortunate enough to coach with, and uh, coach against, and learn from within our organization, uh, guys um, like people on our staff last year, Casey, Devo, Corey, and Jeff, um, guys who have so much more playing and coaching experience than than I have over the years, and uh, really decades of of accomplished time in the game. Um, it's been really, really rewarding for me to, to learn from those guys and um, just a lot of the intricacies of the game that maybe I'd never thought of at the college level or at the independent level. Um, those guys played at the highest level and have been coaching at the highest level. So um, it's still a learning process. I think we can all, um, our, one of our organizational philosophies for the players um, is get better every day. But I think that also um, is important for the staff as well. Just making sure we're showing up here every day with humility and open-mindedness to um, hear different perspectives and, and learn from a lot of the people that have come before us and a lot of the people that we're working with. And to that extent, if the players see the coaching staff trying to get better in, in that same respect, then I have to think it's easier for them to then buy into that mantra and that mindset and continue to grow as players if everybody else around them is doing the same thing. Yeah, exactly. And I think especially the last five or 10 years with how much, um, how many new resources are coming into the game and how much new information is coming, coming across coaches and players and all the new technology, all the new tracking devices. Um, I think it's, 
um, kind of what, what I really um, stress with my role as a development coach is we're really trying to blend uh, qualitative assessment and quantitative assessment. And that includes a lot of staff development and a lot of, um, a lot of like I said, a lot of the experience that coaches bring from the past two to three decades that's incredibly important experience that if we can start blending, um, blending that with a lot of the new numbers, a lot of the new tracking systems, a lot of the new technology, um, with being able to show that open-mindedness and that humility with working with players. Um, sometimes we don't always know the answer, but, um, and sometimes, uh, sometimes if a player asks a, a question, the best answer um, can be, I don't know, but let me follow up on that for you. Uh, Players respect that way more than uh, way more than a coach trying to kind of work his way through an answer without really knowing where he's getting at. So I think with that, um, we're you know like the players, the coaches are trying to to develop and uh, advance our skill set and advance our knowledge. And um, it really takes a group effort and, and a lot of collaboration and um, being able to empower staff to to do different things. But um, that's part of the process not only within the industry, but within any industry, you always want your employees getting better as well. Um, and I think that's what's great about our organization is that they've put, they've put a lot of emphasis on staff development and making sure that, um, that um, we really understand that a rising tide lifts all boats. And um, if the coaches can get better with the players, then um, it's, gonna be, uh, it's gonna make for some, some pretty fun seasons. I want to ask you, when you first started with the Blue Jays organization just a handful of years ago to where we are today, how much has your role as a development coach maybe changed or been refined or, you know, as, as new technologies come into play, help reshape what your role in the organization can be? So when I first joined the organization in the late spring of 2018, um, I, I started off my first role with the Blue Jays that summer was the, the video intern with our rookie level Bluefield affiliate. And um, I was extremely fortunate to be able to go right into pro ball and work with Dennis Holmberg, who is really a legend throughout the game, but also specifically our organization. Um, been with the team coming up on 45 years now, really since the team's um, inception back in the late 70s. And um, he was he was a great resource for me to kind of break me into pro ball and break me into the organization and learned a lot from him. That video role in Bluefield was um, kind of, I got to see a lot of different aspects of player development with coaching, technology, um, on-field, um, uh, players working on their goals, something specific they might need to work on, and then kind of player moves coming up from the complex league or guys going from Bluefield to Vancouver at the time. Got to, got to get a little bit of exposure um, from kind of a bunch of different departments within the, the player development system. And um, kind of from there, that was really um, towards the beginning of a lot of the technology with TrackMan and Edgertronic and Rapsodos and Diamond Kinetics and Blast Motion and a lot of different tracking stuff, like really getting fully integrated into minor league baseball um, and um, just I was incredibly fortunate that the Blue Jays at the time, at the end of that season, um, really kind of gave me free reign to help develop this development coach type position. And 
At the time, I had been looking at what the Phillies were doing with Sam Fold, uh, who's now their general manager. And he had a role called a player information coordinator. And it was really kind of a middleman between the players and the coaches and the front office and a lot of the initiatives that we're trying to get driven through with, with advanced scouting reports and um, different player plans and information. And um, I really thought that that was going to be um, an important aspect of farm systems moving forward. And the Blue Jays were great in allowing me to kind of create that opening and that position within our, our organization. Uh, we piloted the whole role in the, uh, the season of 2019 when I was with our high A Dunedin team. Um, and again, was, I was incredibly lucky to be with Cesar Martin, Jim Sykowski and, and Matty Young, um, all guys who had either played in the big leagues or, um, or had, had coached for uh, two, three decades at that point. And uh, again, um, I learned a lot from those guys, but um, really our collaboration with uh, bridging the gap between uh, the information and the players was successful that season and just driving forward a lot of the initiatives that were coming about throughout minor league baseball and um, starting in the 2020 season, which, um, which would have been my first uh, season in Buffalo, uh, the Blue Jays were starting to roll out development coaches at every affiliate. And fast forward a couple of years now, um, we have a mix of, uh, just like we had in Buffalo last year with, uh, with David Howell handling pitching initiatives and I was working with the position players. Um, most of our affiliates this year have both a uh, position player and pitching oriented uh, development coach type of role. So uh, it's been pretty, pretty cool to see how the, how the whole program has expanded over the last three years. And um, I think we've, we've really seen the, uh, the benefits that it can give to the players with having um, more boots on the ground, more, more sets of eyes, more brains to be able to process all the information that comes through on a daily, weekly, monthly basis throughout the season. And I have to think just the willingness to accept the information is something that over the last couple of years has become a lot, a lot easier. When you see the results on the field, you see all the work that you guys might put in behind the scenes. Um, you know, it, transition can be difficult sometimes, let's be honest, um, you know, when you transition from one to another, but uh, with the advanced analytics in, in the results that we're starting to see, I have to think that players have been a lot more receptive uh, to, to the ways, the new ways of, of, of uh, minor league baseball. No doubt, no doubt. And I think a lot of these players came up going to big time programs um, that they were exposed to TrackMan. Like a, a lot of the high-end division one programs have TrackMan. They, they have Rapsodo, Edgertronic, uh, Blast Motion, uh, you name it. A lot of the technology we use here, they're kind of getting their feet wet with it in college. And so it's always kind of been a part of their development process over the last five years. And even I see now with um, younger, um, younger player development organizations like the Baseball Factory and Perfect Game and, um, and Team USA and all those things, they're, they're also using a lot of this stuff. So a lot of younger players are getting exposed to this when they're in middle school or early high school. So for us, it's really just trying to um, trying to make sure that they understand the meaning behind everything, making sure that they understand that not everything is going to apply to them individually, but um, we really try to simplify it where we sit down with players and are able to identify the, 
one, two, or three things specifically that we want to focus in on that are that we feel are going to be important for them. And it's always a two-way street. It's always a conversation of, you know, what do you feel comfortable with? What do you want to get more exposure to? Um, uh, and um, as long as we have good conversations about it, it's never it's never us dictating to the player that, um, hey, this this is what you need to look at or um, this is what we're going to focus on. It's always a relationship and a conversation with the player about just making sure we're getting our message across about this is something we value. This is why we think it might be important to you. Here are some examples of how it's worked with other players or major leaguers and let us know what you think. Um, and then also from the coaching side of it too, um, like I said earlier, there's always been a qualitative assessment around baseball and that comes with um, scouting and coaching uh, historically through the years. And the way we use the, the information and, and the data now is to just um, create a common language, a language around, here's what you've been saying the last 10 years and here's what we've been thinking about players the last several years and now we have data and evidence to actually back that up so a lot of times um, a lot of times you know people always think that the new info and the new um, the new data is threatening coaches and threatening different roles but um, what we've seen here is a lot of times it validates what coaches have been teaching or saying over the years and um, obviously there's there's areas where the information and the data and um, and video and, and different resources allow us to identify areas of opportunity. But uh, we view that as, hey, um, just like any other industry, if you have information uh, to use to your advantage, um, whether it be um, heat zones or defensive positioning or uh, stolen base information or um, you know, being able to objectively track a minor league player's defense. If we have that information, why would we not use it to our advantage and be able to have conversations with coaches about um, trying to just blend everything together and um, create a really comprehensive development program for a player? Jake, I want to finish our conversation. I really enjoyed uh, you taking me through this, and but I want to start where we began, so to speak. And you going to Buffalo in on August the 10th in 2021, when the team came to town and you mentioned your parents were here, uh, how gratifying was it to have them in the ballpark in Buffalo with you? Um, you know, finally the place that you were supposed to be a development coach in 2020 into 2021 and to finally have that happen with them around and maybe seeing some of the sites around Buffalo and, and being able to take advantage of all that last year. Yeah, that, that was really important. And, um, Speaking of my parents, my, my parents are, especially my mom, um, they're really the, she's the reason why I got so passionate about baseball growing up. And my dad, uh, for over 40 years, my dad worked overseas in the oil industry. And his schedule when I was growing up was always a month away, a month home, a month away, a month home. And uh, my mom had always been a big baseball fan. And she went to a lot of games at Fenway when she was um, in growing up and throughout her, her 20s. And uh, in the in the 70s and she saw a lot of those um, kind of she, she saw a lot of those legendary players come through Boston with uh, Yaz and Dwight Evans and uh, Jim Rice and Freddie Lynn uh, she saw all those guys play back in the, the 60s and 70s and um, when I was growing up um, my dad being away a lot uh, with his job my mom was really the the spark plug behind my my passion for baseball and I think 
probably to this day, I think I've, um, I've probably played catch with my mom more than more times than uh, more times than my dad, which is, uh, which is something that's really special to me. And um, just so many times, uh, so much, so many hours out in the backyard playing catch with her and playing wiffle ball. And, um, and then when my dad was home, it would be just all of us out there. And, um, but for her, like I really learned my passion about baseball and um, kind of a lot of the, the um, she, she's always been a writer um, throughout her life and being able to develop a lot of communication skills and people skills with her. And then um, my dad's really taught me the value of hard work and discipline and uh, sacrifice with, with what he did with his job. And um, so for, for them, um, really, if, if it wasn't for them, um, I, I don't know if I would have been coaching at that level or, or being in Buffalo at that point. So for them to be able to make the trip out, my dad just retired about two years ago. So um, I know they've been, they've been really excited to get out to games, but for them to come out for that first series was, was awesome to have them up in the stands. It's always, even when I was playing, it was always really special to have just knowing that they're there and, and, and cheering me on. And they've always been huge supporters of, of my baseball passion and my career. And, it's always, um, it's always been, um, it's always just been about whether I had fun or whether I learned some things as opposed to the results. Um, can, can, cannot really remember too many times over the years where we ever discussed my results in games. It was always like, hey, it was great. It was great to watch you play or a uh, nice team win or, or and all that. And so for them to be out there for that series was, was great. Um, we got to take a trip up to Niagara Falls, which was my first time up there in my life. I think my parents had gone there years, years back when they were a lot younger. Um, I know my dad had, so for them to be there was was uh, was awesome. Um, have a huge 11 nothing win. I think they were there for the first three games of the series. And I think we we won all three of them if I remember correctly. So it was it was nice to have them there for a few, few wins and visit Niagara Falls. And, um, but like I said earlier, for us to get back there and just have that electric atmosphere in that first game and um, the, the, the place was really rocking especially when when Warmoth hit that big home run and um, so that was really special and uh, my parents have been a big part of my my personal development as a as a as a human being um, and also my baseball development as a player and um, and the support they've given me over the years both um, emotionally and financially is uh, something that I don't know if I can ever pay them back but it's uh, it's at least great with uh, with them being in retirement to to come out to some games, and I'm always happy to have them. Thanks again to Jake for joining us in the Power Alley this week. Always look forward to catching up with him and talking baseball with the Blue Jays development coach and looking forward to seeing what 2022 brings for him this year. Speaking of the 2022 season, head over to Bisons.com where you can check out our latest promotional information. Also find us on social media at Buffalo Bisons on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Buffalo Bisons as well as we have a couple of more promotional nights yet to unveil this offseason. Looking forward to bringing those to you and bringing you those conversations as well as we inch closer towards the 2022 season on April the 5th when the Bisons host the Iowa Cubs. Until next time, I'm Pat Melicaro. Thanks for joining us in the Power Alley.